1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the excuse me, and God raised the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may have devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is God's Word. Good morning. We're going to continue this week, as Chris just read, we're going back to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be, as we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, if you saw in the bulletin, The title of the sermon is Our Bodies, Sex, and God's Glory. And a lot of what uh, that passage that Chris just read to us, uh, Paul's hitting on and what he's addressing and what he's getting to is some questions that they had in the church and the way they were abusing and missing how sex has been uh, given to us by God and for its purpose. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And as I was thinking about that and and working on that, I read an article this week in a medical journal, in a pediatrics uh, journal, and, and it was talking about sexual activity among teenagers. And just listen to these statistics for just a second. It says that uh, in in America today, 20% of all 14-year-olds are sexually active, 33% at 16, 48% at 17, 61% at 18, and 71% at 19 years old. And so as I read that article, as alarming as those statistics may be to you, uh, sadly, as I read that, I wasn't really surprised by those. But uh, as I thought about it, as I kept reading and kept looking and, you know, the, the end of the article was, well, that's good because kids are waiting a little longer. And then the next part was that it's just a normal appetite and that's part of your development. It's not a good thing. And so we should just be open and honest and talk about it and all these things. And so that's what the article said. And that was kind of the main thrust of the article as I was reading it. And so I got done with that and I was reading it. And here I'm reading this article. It's on my screen and my Bible is open to First Corinthians as I was studying and looking at that week at that this week. And then there it is. The exact same thing that's in that article is what Paul was dealing with in first Corinthians six. I don't know if you caught it 
when uh, Chris was just reading the passage to us. But what, what we get into in First Corinthians is this kind of back and forth. Paul's bringing up things that they wrote in letters to ask him. And then he's he's answering them and correcting some misunderstandings. And, and so what you see in First Corinthians and what you see here in chapter six is is these in quotations, these things that they were saying a lot. And so he he quotes it back and then he answers it. And so that's kind of what you get. And what you get in verse 13 is it says food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. That is a common saying within the Corinthian church and what they were doing is saying just like food is a natural appetite, so is sex. And when that comes up, you should just satisfy it just like you do when you're hungry, you eat. And that's exactly what the article I read this week was basically saying. That's just part of our development and it's all natural. And so what we're going to look at today is I want us to see what Paul says and what God's word says inspired God inspired for Paul to say is how to get that back in a proper balance. Because when you read those statistics and you see what it says, it's alarming what it says because it's so out of, out of kilter with what God's word says. And so I want us to look at that. And so the way we're going to go at that this morning is, is simply we're just going to ask. There's an outline in the back of your bulletin if you like to follow along with that and you'll see it in there. But the first thing we're just going to ask is what is the purpose of sex in our lives, the way God's ordained it? Secondly, where do we go wrong? Third, how do we get it right? And then lastly, we'll just consider why is it so important? So that's how we're going to go at it. But before we do, let's pray and then we'll look at that together. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it uh, many times cuts us and, and reveals our hearts and our intentions. And so we just pray this morning that you would reveal where we've gone wrong and where we're seeing things not as you would have us to see them. And we pray that you would correct us. And in doing that, we would come to see uh, your glory and uh, just how beautiful you are and the way that you've ordained things and the way you've given us good gifts. And I pray that we would see them in their proper light. We ask this morning as we open your word that your spirit would guide us in this time without that. We are hopelessly lost. So we ask that you would apply this to our hearts and minds and show us what you would have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. And so, again, just four ways. First, the purpose of sex in our lives. How does it go wrong? How do we get it right? And then lastly, why is that important? So let's just start with the purpose, the first thing. And we're going to start with just this kind of summary thing that Paul says at the end, because we need this to stand over everything else we're going to look at and talk at, talk about. And so look at verses 19 and 20 first, because look at what Paul says there. And I'm going to read it again to you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so when we start to ask the question of what is the purpose of sex or what is the purpose of really anything that God's given us, we need to have a solid biblical foundation of what that is. And so this thinking about how we do that and how we get to that. And we've been saying over and over and we've been pointing to this quite a lot uh, lately this year. We've been talking about the new city catechism. It's a catechism that was put together uh, by some uh, guys at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And it's some really good 52 questions to walk through just to help you get basic biblical doctrines. Understanding that catechism is just a question and answer of basic doctrines, putting it in simple terms. And if you'll notice when you read through our bulletin, that's in there each week. We have the question that corresponds with the week. And we've been talking about that. It's a good habit to get into of just looking at those because it gives you a really good, solid, foundational 
uh, understanding of these biblical doctrines. Uh, I've been doing that with my boys. We go and get donuts on Saturday morning and we read through catechism questions and answers. That's our our normal thing now. And and so we're, we're, we're lagging behind. I will say five and seven year old. We're not quite keeping up with every week, but we've probably got about the first 10 or 12 down. And so if you go to Asher, uh, Asher will get it. If you go to Jed, my five year old, it's a 50 50 chance. You might get the answer. You might not. I'm not sure. It just depends on the day. But Asher would tell you if you say uh, if you ask him the first question and you you go to him, and you say, what is our only hope in life and death? Asher will tell you we are not our own. We belong to God. And that's that's question one of the New City Catechism. Maybe you grew up doing maybe that's foreign to you or maybe you grew up doing it. If you grew up doing it, it was probably the Westminster Catechism. You say, what is the chief end of man? And it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Very similar. Same idea in both of those and those both of those first question. And what we're getting at and what we're saying is the same thing that that uh, Paul is saying here. And he's bringing us back. You see it there in verse 19. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And I bring up the catechism part because we say that a lot, but I think sometimes we miss the practical application of knowing and learning and teaching those. Right? You can. I hope you start to see the importance of that with uh, just this, even those statistics I read to you at the beginning, and seeing uh, sex in its proper light. If all things were made, we are not our own. We are made to glorify God and enjoy him. We are not our own. We belong to God. That's going to have a profound impact on the way we look at all things, including sex. And so when you start to think about that and and have that dwelling in you and we ask the, the, the question right at the beginning, what is the purpose of sex in our lives? And we see it in its proper place. We are God's. We are not our own. We belong to God and we are to glorify him. And that includes uh, sex that he's ordained and given to us. And so when we talk about the purpose, I want you just to think about that. That's the purpose we'd say. That's the purpose of our life, our bodies, sex, your marriage, your relationships. They are to glorify God. And so when we see it that way, that radically transforms or it should really change the way we then look at how that plays out in our life. I want you to think if you've got a 16 year old daughter and her boyfriend is pressuring her and saying, if you really love me and you'll you'll do this and you'll have sex with me and we're in love and all these things. And if she's got a rock solid understanding of I am not my own, I belong to God and I am to glorify him in this body. What impact will that have? And so I hope you see the very practical implications of understanding and having solid biblical doctrine under even these statistics, seeing them rightly. And so that's the first part of, of what is the purpose? And we'd say that with all things is it's to glorify God. We're not our own. And so even with sex, it's there to glorify and point to greater realities of who God is. And we'll talk about why in a minute. So the question then becomes, where do we go wrong? Where do we get off and you get off of the main point here and you see it here in, in, in chapter six and and you see that there. They say uh, you'll see in the ESV, if you're reading along in the ESV, they put these things, several of these sayings and quotes. The thought is that Paul's quoting back to them things that they said to them, to him. They wrote to him. And so that's why they're in quotations like in quotations. It says all things are lawful for me. And then Paul answers, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Again, that's probably he's quoting what they were saying, a common saying in in Corinth. And then he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And so what you get is you start to see the problem here that's creeping in. It's the same thing in our society today. And what they were what they were embracing is sex is just an appetite and it should be met whenever it comes up and you do what you want just as you're hungry. So same thing with your sexual appetite. You just when that pops up, you satisfy it. And so what you see and as you read, as you get in the context, is you had people within the church visiting prostitutes. And we'll talk about that in a second. Paul will come to that in a minute. But you've got this this real basic misunderstanding of what God has ordained sex for and the way he's put it together. And so it's all throughout this church. And and there's a problem here. And so when, when we think about what the root of this problem is and what's going on, what I'd say that the answer is, is we've taken something that God has given us that is good and elevated it to a place that it should never be in. Right. What happens? And it's with anything. It doesn't matter if it's sex. It doesn't matter if it's food or your job or your children, all good things that God has given us. But when we elevate them to a place that they can't stand in, it's going to go wrong. And that's what was happening. They're taking this this desire and they're elevating it to a place it shouldn't take. And so what you're doing is you're taking the creation, the created things and raising them over the creator. The creation becomes over the creator. We switch it. Romans one, Paul lays that out beautifully, right? They, they were professing to be wise. They became fools and worship the creation rather than the creator. And he goes into that whole argument and we see that over and over. And so what you get here is, is that's what's happening. That's what happens in our hearts in all different ways all the time. You know, when you start to think about these statistics today and, and what often happens as we go into this, we'll look at our society and look. And, and by the way, these things contribute to it. I'm not saying they don't. We're bombarded constantly with advertising. But when we when we hear this, uh, those statistics, what people will say as well, you've got texting and YouTube and Facebook and the Internet and pornography and on and on and on and on. And we'll start to go oh, look at all these things. Now, those certainly are outside influences pressuring, but that's not the heart of the problem. The issue is our heart. It's a heart problem of looking for fulfillment in other places other than God and putting things in his rightful place. I was reading a book this week and I would I would recommend it to anyone. It's called uh, it's by Paul David Tripp. He's a Christian counselor and a pastor. His books are excellent. He does a good job of applying the gospel to all things. And what Tripp talks about the name of the book, by the way, is is sex and money. And so I would recommend the book to anyone who's ever struggled with sex or money. So everybody should read Paul David Tripp's book on on sex and money. I mean, it's just he got any he, and he applies the gospel so well to so many areas. But he says this in it. He says, your problem and my problem is the self oriented pleasure addicted insanity that lives inside of you and makes you an easy target for the madness of the society around you. He says the reason these things happen and the reason uh, stuff pops up like it does is because it's it's appealing to a misordered desire in our own hearts. And then he and then he comes to this conclusion. He says monasteries and boycotts simply don't create pure living. They never have and they never will. And his point is, when we when we make it all just the external things without looking at the heart issue, we're going to miss uh, the very root of why this happens. And so when we think about where it goes off, we, we, we worship the creation rather than the creator. We, we disorder the desires in our life. And you see this all throughout our society. You know, I was reading those statistics at the beginning, and then I started reading some different articles, some links, some, some different things. I was blown away by this. Maybe, you knew, maybe you've heard this. I may have used this in a sermon way back, but last year 
in the United States alone, the pornography industry uh, made $14 billion. That's B, billion. $14 billion last year, and I read that. And then I went on to read that 93% of all boys before they're 18 years old are exposed to pornography, and 64% of all girls before they turn 18. And you read those statistics, and you go, oh, what? Those are, those are the uh, outworking of the symptoms of our heart when we reorder those desires. We've got things grossly out of order. We've taken something that's good. Sex is good. It's a gift from God. It's a thing that he came up with. He created. It's a good thing, but we've got it way out of order. You know, I was thinking of, of an illustration of how bad out of order it is. The best one I could find is it goes back to C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, if you've ever read that. And I, and I want you just to hear this quote from what Lewis says in Mere Christianity. And let me remind you, Mere Christianity was published in 1952, right? So 1952, and C.S. Lewis says this, he says, you can get a large audience together for a striptease act. That is to watch a girl undress on stage. Now that's uh, maybe not you, you could plug in today that the pornography industry makes $14 billion and you get the same point that he's getting at. But so he says they get together to watch a girl undress on stage. Now, suppose you go to a country where you could f- you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone horribly wrong with their appetite for food? And and would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think there was something equally strange about the state of our sex instinct among us? And so if you hear what Lewis is saying and what he's pointing to is we've taken something that's good and elevated it to a place that it should never be. We've reordered our desires so much that it doesn't even make sense. And the things that we begin to embrace and see. And so the problem is we're missing something that God created as a signpost to point to greater realities. And and we've gotten caught up on the thing. Right. I've used that example a lot. It's like with a baby when you're pointing to, hey, look at the trees outside and they're staring at your finger. It's the same thing. Here's this great thing that God created to point you to greater realities of who he is. And we've decided to make it all about the thing. And so what we get is we have we missed it so horribly. And it leads to all sorts of problems when we do, because when we take something and we, we reduce it to just a physical desire that needs to be met and oh, you should go out and just meet it whenever it pops up, you miss the spiritual component. You miss the deeper realities of what God was doing by creating and ordaining sex. And, and when that happens, it starts to work against his original plan and all sorts of bad things happen. Uh, it's, uh, I, uh, if you see here, if you look in verse 16, Paul starts to kind of uh, allude to that and pull back the curtain to the being so much more than just a physical desire. Look what he says in verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for it is written that two will become one flesh, but he is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so he's telling us there's a great deeper Uh, emotional and spiritual thing going on than just a physical need that's being met. And you start to see that. And when we miss that, we're misusing this thing that this good gift that God's given us. I read one commentator this week and I like the analogy he used. He talked about how he had a roommate in college of instead of buying a screwdriver, he would use a knife all the time. 
said, well, I can do this with a knife. I don't need a screwdriver. And he said, so whenever he needed to change something and he needed a screwdriver, he'd go get his knife out and he'd take the screw out and he did. And he said, over time, the knife started to get really warped and bent because he was always using it in its wrong way. And he said, then over time, one day he had a really stubborn, really tight screw and he was trying to undo it. And his knife broke and snapped and a big giant piece went into his hand and cut him deeply. And his point in the analogy is it's the same thing when we misuse sex and the way God's ordained it. We're distorting it and we're warping it and we're using it in wrong ways. And then what inevitably is going to happen is you're going to get cut and cut deeply because you've reduced it to something when it's something far greater than what it is. It's not just a physical appetite as the people were missing or the article that I read this week said. In fact, Jesus says it so well in Mark 10. Bill, what you have here is Paul quoting back to uh, Genesis 2. Jesus does the same thing in Mark 10. And he says this, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer. So, so Jesus is quoting and then he stops. That's the end of the quote from from Genesis 2. And then Jesus says this. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so when we take sex and we make it be just an appetite that needs to be fulfilled, or as they were doing in Corinth, they were going to prostitutes and they were doing, he says, don't you are missing what is going on here. There's something far greater going on here. There's a connection there. And there's a there's this beautiful picture that that God gives us that's supposed to happen in a lifelong commitment that is marriage. That's where it's supposed to take place and the way it's supposed to happen. And so he's showing them and bringing them back to that and trying to to show that. And what happens is, is if God ordained it that way with two people for life. It's it's to build up and help in all these other ways. And when you don't do that, it works the opposite. Instead of promoting trust and intimacy and openness, it works against that. If we use it in the way he hasn't shown us and you give yourself to many different people and over time it erodes that trust and that intimacy and all the things that God designed it for. And so we miss it in great, big, huge ways when we cheapen it and we make it just a physical thing. And so then the question becomes, how do we get it right? How do we reclaim what God has for us and see it in the right light of what he's told us and the way he's intended? Look at verses 18 to 20 again. I think the first thing you would say is what Paul says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you from whom from whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with price. So glorify God in your body. And so what we would say is, how do we get it right? The first thing I would just say is to flee sexual immorality. Don't go there. Right. That's that's very practical, just straightforward. Don't do it. Right. It's designed in the confines of marriage. So don't go there outside of marriage because that's the way God put it together. He's the creator. He made it up. He knows how it works. This is the way he says it works best. So don't do it this way. That's what he says. But then we'd say the second part is is to to glorify him in our bodies, going a little deeper, thinking about that a little more deeply. Again, I'll go back to those catechism questions. Right. I'm, I'm sitting there with my boys telling them, well, what is your. What, what are you made for to glorify God? And then the next question we say, well, what does it mean to glorify? How do we glorify God? And it's 
And the question is, we love him and we praise him and we obey him and keep his laws. And so you're you're telling it that that's the way we glorify what you think about that. The way we point to God is by trusting what he's told us. And so when we say to glorify God in our bodies, when it relates to sex is to trust what God's told us. And God's told us, I designed this to be in the covenant of marriage and no other place and no other way. And that's the way it's to work. A man, one man and one woman in the confines of marriage and no other way. That's the way I put it together and the way it works. And so he says that that's what you're to do. And so when we think about how do we begin to get it right, I would say that's the, the first thing we would do is we, we don't do it this way and we do it the way he's told us. You see this here. And by the way, the, the interesting thing when you're reading in 1 Corinthians, there's two big errors that they're dealing with. They get, they get off on two different sides. One is it's just an appetite. You satisfy it whenever you want. And there's people going to prostitutes and all these issues that are coming up. The other side is there's people over here that would say, no, no, no. If you're really, really spiritual, you'll abstain from sex even within marriage. It's good to abstain and then that makes you very holy and pure and you can pray more and you can do all these other things. And that's where Paul's answering in verses one to five. Look at what he says, because he quotes their question. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with his woman with a woman. And he says in verse two, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I'm not going to say this real often, but it's right here in our text. If you're married and within marriage, you should be having sex with your husband or wife. God says it right there in his word. He's designed it that way. It's a good thing that he gave. And he said, now do it. You should be doing it regularly and don't deprive one another. That's what God's word says. And that's the way he says it. And so what happens, though, a lot of times is we go, we we get to one extreme or the other. Right. In our society, we get, well, it's just an appetite and it's a natural thing and do whatever you want and meet your desires and go on. Or we get a lot of times in the church of, oh, no, we won't talk about sex. Oh, let's let's we'll just sidestep that pretend it doesn't really exist and we'll just well that's not what the bible says it says it's a good gift from god that he's ordained and he's put it together in this way and it's a good thing and he says so don't deprive one another and to have sex regularly never thought i'd say that as a preacher right and here it is in the bible and that's what it says and so that's what he tells us and that's the way we should look at it and so that's part of it is, is how do we get it right? We do it in the way that God's ordained and what he said and the way he's told us. But I want us to think of it deeper than just that, because I've been saying over and over, it's a signpost that points to greater realities. It's not just a physical act between a man and a woman. God was deliberate in the way he did all these things and, and all desires and all good things he gave us. He put together and he put them there for a purpose and they're pointing to greater things. And so I would say. When we look at that and we think about that, if all good gifts are from God and all of us are to help us glorify and point to him and just say it this way, sex is a model for our relationship with God of total love and submission and total union with him and the joy that results that will come from it one day and seeing him face to face. It's pointing to something greater. And we make it so cheap. 
and we distort it in all these ways. But it's this good gift that God gives that says, man, it points to something so much greater, namely that, that, that our relationship in the fullness of which God gives himself to us through Christ and he accepts us through Jesus. And so that's that's the way we begin to get it right about seeing it as something that is about God and his glory and bringing us deeper into knowing him and seeing him. And so that takes me to the last part of why this is so important. And there's a couple things here and it'll be real brief, but just a couple things here when you think about negatively first, why it's so important that we don't abuse it. We don't do it the way the world says. We don't get off in these different areas that God never intended us to be, whether it be sex outside of marriage or unfaithfulness within marriage or pornography or even just your thought life. Because there's a whole range there and it's all the same heart issue. And so wherever it is, I want you to see what Paul says there. In verse 19 of why it's so important that you hold to what God says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus came to take our sin and restore us to God. And so that means all our depravity and all the things we do and all the ways we go off and all the ways we ignore him. And that includes sexual sin. And so when we continue to go back to those, we are making a mockery of what it costs Christ for us. I mean, that's what Paul says. Don't you know what it cost Jesus? He took your sin and he bore God's wrath. He went spit on and he was killed and all these things so that you can be restored to God. And then you just act like it doesn't matter. And so that's the, the kind of negative side of it. Don't abuse it because don't you see what it cost Christ for you? And so that's that's the first part. And let, let me just remind you, because as I say that, I realize that in this room, all of us have blown this at one time or another, whether actually physically indeed or in thought or in pornography or whatever it may be. And I remind you of that. But I also want to remind you that God is good and he is merciful and he's loving. And he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so if you've buddied up with sexual sin, whether it's your thought life or pornography or physical acts or whatever it is, stop today and repent and confess your sins and he will make it new. There'll be consequences of going against the way he's told us, but he can rebuild. That's what God does. He he redeems and he recreates and he renews. And so hear that, that if that's and that's all of us at different times to seek him, knowing he loves you and he forgives you. And don't compound the problem by just going further into it. Stop today. That's that's the first part. But then the second part of, of how we get it rightly and why it's so important is, is when we do uh, the way God's ordained and the way he says and sex functions inside of marriage and the way he's told us, it's a beautiful and wonderful gift that he's given us. And it's a beautiful and wonderful gift of, of loving and acceptance and of coming together and all these things that he gives us. R.C. Sproul says it like this, and I think he says it better than I could say it, but he says, when we are given to each other physically, 
spiritually, emotionally, your spouse and you understands who I am and all of me and still loves me. Right? The vulnerability of coming together and being naked before one another and all the things that goes with that, that there's a vulnerability there. And then I experience at the human level something of the most deep and profound love at all of all. God has seen all of me and in Christ, he accepts me completely and gives himself completely to me. It is so much greater than we make it out to be. All these things that God does and ordains and brings together to point us to deeper realities of the way he's loved us and the way he brings it back to. And so as we we come to these texts, you know, there's very practical things that Paul's dealing with and these questions he's getting. I just pray that we see each one fully to how great they are and how big they are and how they point us more fully to who God is and the way he loves us in Jesus. And that's our, our prayer and our hope that we would see that in all things in all ways. That we are not our own and we're to glorify God in our body in every single way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have created all things. And uh, we thank you for the pleasures of life and the things that you give us. We thank you for the way you ordain them. We thank you for the safeguards you put in place that you tell us how your creation works. That you show us the way it is. We thank you that you forgive us when we ignore you and go on our own and uh, uh, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy we pray that we would use all the good gifts that you give us in the light of your glory in your name and that we would see it in all things in all ways we pray all these things in jesus precious name amen